0: Good morning. Mukama Yebaziwe. I was testing the children. It's with the children this morning, hoping to hear some Aminas. Mukama Yebaziwe. Thank you. Very happy for me. Actually, in a few weeks, I get to go back to Uganda with Timothy, Lord willing, for a few weeks. You guys can already start praying for my wife for extra grace for our family. Um, Looking forward to that time. We first went to Uganda as a family in 2004. And boy, that was a difficult year. Laura Beth and I took our 10-month-old Elisha, left our families, what had been our home, in faith that God would provide a new family and a new home. And as happy as we were to be walking in God's calling together, There was a giant barrier in our hearts that made that first year so difficult. We were in a foreign culture and a land that was not our home. And I mean foreign in every way, or so it felt. But we simply had to get through the waves of culture shock and cultural adjustment if we were going to be able to thrive in our new life. Indeed, we would have to change our thinking and our interactions with the world around us. And it's challenging to explain all that comes with that reality. We had read about it, we had experienced it in short-term trips, which probably gave us a bit of pride, like, yeah, we got this, no problem, we'll be fine. But when faced with the reality of living, of thinking, understanding, Relating and normalizing in this new world, this new people, this new culture, this new lifestyle, it was exhausting and overwhelming. Somebody likened it to swimming in a pool all day long, just treading water. You get to the end of the day, what did I do? I'm so tired. That's how it felt all the time. There were many times we just wanted to go home. There was a draw in a pool for what was normal to us. I remember attending a big event during that first year. And at the end of that event, we actually left early. We took Elisha, just said, we just got to go. Went back to our house. We closed up all the shutters, which really makes it appear as if you're not home. And I remember just taking a nap, just tired. I wanted to disconnect. I wanted to, to get away. We had a longing for what felt normal, but we knew that God had called us out of the normal. And if we were going to make it, then we needed God to meet us and to work in us the change that we could not work in ourselves, that only he could bring. There were many times we wondered, is it it worth it? Will it always be this way, this rending of heart and life, this feeling of being out of place? wherever we went, this exhaustion. I remember one day I pushed Elisha in a stroller up the hill to an old seasoned missionary. He was probably around, you know, 40 at the time and had been there about 12 years. Um, (laughs) I'm 45, okay. I sat down next to him and he looked at me and I just said, just tell me you made it through the first year. Like, that's all. I mean, obviously, he did. I just needed to hear somebody say it. Yes, you can make it. I made it. And he just looked at me and smiled and put his arm around me and, in his great British accent, prayed a wonderful prayer that the Lord would sustain me by his grace and that he would give us what we needed to push on. And by his grace, we did. We were able to set our minds fully on where God had called us. And slowly what was so foreign began to become familiar. And after some time, and not a single moment, not a crisis event, but we had changed. And we did have a new family and a new home. We knew God would provide one, but it actually felt that way. It was normal and it was good. Maybe some of you have experienced something like that in your own context. After all, marriage can kind of feel that way at first, right? It's so foreign, eventually becomes familiar. Today, the Apostle Paul is going to confront each of us with the reality that we have all indeed been called away from what has been so normal, Those of us who are in Christ have been called to an entirely different culture, a new family and a new home. And it's in this place where he meets us and he transforms us and he begins to work in us the change that we so desperately need. And it's in this place that we are safe and we are secure. Only he doesn't have to bring us to a new place to make this happen. He brings what is new to us, and he will one day bring it in the fullness of his glory. And with that, we want to come into Colossians chapter 3 this morning and see how he brings this to us and what he calls us to. Let's just pause and pray and commit our time as we come into his word together. Lord God, thank you for the journey that you've called each of us on and for what you've called us away from and what you've called us to and the hope that lies before us and the work that you're committed to doing in our hearts and lives because you're jealous for your bride and she will be beautiful. So Lord, would you wash us with your word? Would you meet us in the place of our need? And would you lead us forward as we live out the truth of this good news that you have entrusted to us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. Blessed be your name, in Jesus' name, amen. So throughout Colossians, we have seen the incomparable Christ and we've seen the calling to live as a part of the body of Christ. Sort of these two prongs working together. There's no one like Jesus, and there's nothing greater than being a part of his body. And chapter three is a beautiful transition, right? Because we've been walking through the reality of in Christ, we are not bound to the precepts of the world. We are not bound to the the past and the way things have been. Law-driven rules, which might even appear Uh, religiously wise but in themselves cannot stop the flesh from both desiring and carrying out sin it's utterly unable but in christ but in christ we don't just see the shadow we get the fullness we get the substance that we cling to and that's christ the head So that leads us to really one big question. And the question is, how are we then to live? In light of these first two chapters of Colossians, how do we live? In the words of Francis Schaeffer or Chuck Colson, you could say, how then shall we live? Or how now shall we live? How shall we stop this flesh which wars against us? How do we live in a world that beckons us to return to it at every moment, to indulge and respond in that flesh that we have known so well? How do we face hardship and difficulty along the way? This world that cries out for us to find our identity here, our values here, our hopes, our wealth, our treasure, our purpose, our life here. How do we live in this context And the text today is going to begin spelling out that answer. It's going to walk us on a journey. So let's read our passage together. So Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What a great passage. I'm so happy to get to walk through this with you. This morning, we're going to look at just three things that... The Apostle Paul highlights for overcoming the flesh, right? That's the end of chapter 2, verse 23. But also for what it means to then live as part of this body. Right? And It's not complex. It's so simple, and yet it is so deep and so hard to grasp in its fullness. And yet it is an anchor that we cling to and we walk in. And so the first thing jumps out at us right at the beginning from verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Here's the answer to living life in this world. Seek the things that are above. So what do you think of when you hear that phrase? Some of us are familiar with the language that we find repeated in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Paul hits kind of the double whammy, the left and then the right. Repeats it, emphasizes it. It's a phrase that many of us can easily be overly familiar with. For some, it might even have a bit, bit of a negative sentiment attached to it. Like, have you ever heard the phrase, He is so earthly minded that He's no heavenly good. She's so earthly-minded that she's no heavenly good. Have you heard that phrase? Simply means that a person is just thinking about heaven all the time. Can't wait to get to heaven. We just got to get to heaven. Heaven, heaven, heaven. Without any thought or care of the world that they live in. So it has a negative connotation. Or maybe you've heard Christianity labeled as a religion that seeks after a pie in the sky. I like that phrase. Kids, have you ever wanted pie so bad at Thanksgiving that you're like, just get through the dinner. I want the pie, right? I, I'm not, I don't even need to eat the food. I'm just living to get to the dessert, right? And, and so that's the idea, that you just live in, in this world hoping to get to heaven, a pie in the sky. We don't care about what's before us. We're just trying to get to the dessert, to the good thing. That is not... What Paul is telling us when he says to seek the things that are above. But he's giving us something that if we have ears to hear and hearts to understand, it will radically change our lives. How? Well, notice the first part of verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. That's the second part of what Paul began in chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to these things, then. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, right? And Peter drew this out for us, this reality of what it means that we've died with Christ and we have risen with Christ. We we read it, and, and even the language of the way Paul starts it this if then you've been raised with Christ, some translations will say, since you've been raised with Christ. And the idea is it's supposed to evoke emotion in us, like, yes, I have been raised with Christ. And because I've been raised with Christ, then this. Seek the things that are above. Why draw attention to our dying and rising in Christ? Because we live in a greater reality. And it's a reality that is outside of ourselves. It is what God has done for us. And it is what God has done in us through Christ. Again, Peter drew that out for us. But to remember, it's his work. It's what he's done in us. It means that our lives are not our own. We've died with Christ. We've risen with Christ. His death brings our life, and our life is secure, for He has risen. He is our risen King. And so we've taken on an entirely new life and reality. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness, Paul told us earlier in Colossians. We no longer follow the lusts and passions of our flesh. We are not slaves to sin and law. We have been transferred to the kingdom of God's Son, where we have redemption and forgiveness and freedom. And Paul uses beautiful language in Ephesians 1 and 2 to describe this reality for us. Those who have died and risen with Christ, those who are in Christ, we stand there positionally with Christ. We come Or we hear the language in Ephesians 2, verse 6. He says this, that we who are in Christ have been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Now we can look around and know that we are actually seated in this room. Here we are. We're seated here together. And yet, in the the reality of what has been accomplished in the Spirit, in Christ, we are seated with him in the heavenlies, right? If we're in Christ, positionally, we are there. We have access to the throne of grace. When we pray, we can cry out, Abba, Father. And we are there with the Son who's interceding for us and who brings us to the Father. And so there's a great reality that goes beyond what our eyes see. For those who are in Christ, we're seated with him, even as we're seated in this place. And so Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. So what does it mean to seek the things that are above? Through this passage and throughout it, I hear the echoes of Psalm 27. And I love David's words there because David says in Psalm 27, verse 4, one thing I've asked of the Lord. And that will I seek. I'll seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And I come back to this again and again. All right, what's the one thing I'm seeking after? Seek the things that are above. That is the longing of David's soul in Psalm 27 i want to gaze on his beauty i want to see the glory of christ i want to dwell in his presence and that's the substance the shadow that david is pointing us to matthew 6 jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness Right away, I'm confronted because I I love to seek after my kingdom or my righteousness, constantly in battle with his kingdom and his righteousness. And A lot of what Paul's dealt with in Colossians 1 and 2 is really the establishment of our righteousness. It's trying to gain that righteousness. It's like, no, seek God's, seek his kingdom, seek his righteousness. And this is what This seeking of God's kingdom is what Jesus later refers to as the kingdom from above, not the kingdom of this world. And Paul links these together in this text. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at God's right hand or at the right hand of God. With the shadow of Psalm 110, behind it, right? The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The substance of our seeking is Christ, risen and reigning at God's right hand. This is the reality that confronts us. It confronts all that we see around us. We do not live for a pie in the sky, but in pursuit of a kingdom that is greater and that must be central to our lives and our thoughts and our actions. Think about the Lord's Prayer Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reality is that as we seek the things above, as we truly seek, his kingdom and his righteousness, then we actually are set free to to do good on earth and to pray for good on earth, to pray for his will to be done as it's done in heaven. And it starts right there. Christ's reign at the right hand of the Father. Seek it. Seek his kingdom. Let it be the central reality that we live in in our day-to-day pursuits, and that's seeking it prayerfully. And Paul reiterates that then in verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of earth, right? Set your affections, set your desires, center your whole self, your reality, your day, your life, center it all on this great reality. And that's what he's bringing, and he's not suggesting it. He's not saying, hey, this might be a good idea. He's saying in light of all of these great realities of the incomparable Christ and all the things that we face, seek Christ where he reigns at the right hand of God. Seek the reality of a kingdom that has come, that is broken into this brokenness that we live in and are surrounded by. We are to be heavenly-minded as we live in the greater reality of Christ's kingdom and sovereign rule over all things. We want to live according to that. When we were living in Uganda in our first year, trying so hard to live in the midst of a new people clinging to Jesus for daily bread, There were times that we just wanted to jump out of the culture, right? We just wanted to find cultural normalcy. We were told by seasoned missionaries that if we wanted to make it long-term, we would have to fix our hearts fully on being present where we were. We watched other missionaries struggle with media, technology, with a foot in both, both worlds. And... Needless to say, those missionaries were typically the ones that did not make it, because you can't live that way. I'll never forget the first time that we heard about and visited a place called the American Club. It was a hotel in Kampala. Had a pool, had a family room where we could stay with our our two kids at that time, a great kids' playground, they even had root beer oh how i missed root beer one of the great things though is it had a big wall around it i mean who wants to go swimming with people watching you so there was privacy it was as if we could escape the world and the culture that we were surrounded with and we could just be american because we were at the american club could order a hamburger it was wonderful As healthy as that was for us to retreat to on occasion, we knew the danger of the pool of the American Club as an escape from reality. The truth is we needed to be able to enjoy it, to receive it as a gift from our Father, but the danger was the ease with which we could worship it as an idol and as the answer to our longings and desires. Things are getting tough. Let's go to the American Club. I just need a day at the American Club, right? It provided a false reality in the midst of what felt like a challenging and difficult world. Hidden behind those walls, but also keeping people out. We could have lived as if the American Club was our reality. Because it was a real place with real people and real food and real root beer. But the sad truth is that we watched missionaries who wanted to serve God in Uganda, move to Uganda, live near the American club so that they could live in Uganda and do God things while living in this, I would say, false reality that the American club offered. So we'll call them American club missionaries. Maintain a country club lifestyle while living in a Ugandan context. They wanted to maintain their own cultural normalcy or normality or reality, but it was a facade. And that's not kingdom, especially when you're surrounded with the brokenness and the poverty and you ignore it by hiding away in a false reality. And inevitably those missionaries, they do not last long either. Because when things get tough, they're out of there. But the truth is, I'm a lot more like those missionaries than I want to admit. Because it's easy for me or for us to live right here in America or anywhere with our eyes closed to what's around us, trying to maintain our comfort and our ease, our country club lifestyle, with an appearance of serving God while seeking a comfort-driven life. Separate or apart from the greater kingdom and reality that God's called us to live in. We live in one giant American club. Yet he calls us out of the world below. Indeed, if you're in Christ, you are called to a greater reality. Into a kingdom reality. To set our minds there and our lives there as defined by Jesus when we live this way, we find life in Christ. And we also find rest for our souls and the things that we long for. We don't have to run to what feels so appealing and so drawing because they do not provide what they promise. The American club could never provide what it promised. But Jesus does. And we find then, second, rest in the life of Christ. Verse 3 says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See, the rule and the reign of Christ is happening right now. Even though the world doesn't see it, it is a hidden reality but it will be revealed and it is displayed, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, God's wisdom is displayed through his church. We display that greater reality. The day will come when it will be revealed in fullness and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And in the same way, your own life is hidden with Christ in God. On the outside, everyone expects you to live in the American club, right? Pursue the same things. Value the same thing. Seek after the swimming pools and the false comfort. Not that swimming pools are bad. I love swimming. But to seek after the comforts of life, void of God's spirit and the reality of the spiritual realm, the spiritual reality that surrounds us. Our lives are not here. And that's the point. Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And that's where he points us. You have a life. That's hidden, and it's hidden with Him. This is a radical shift, and it's meant to be as we seek and set our minds on reality as defined by Jesus. Over the years, I've found myself in so many difficult situations wondering are we safe? Am I safe? The battles of fear and the mind, the reality of the demonic realm. Again, there's a spiritual reality that surrounds us, experiences in that realm. Yet when my mind is set on Christ and the truth is defined by him where he reigns and that my life is hidden with him, we're safe and there's nowhere safer to be. There is peace in that place. And then we begin to see past the false reality that sin and Satan present, that our own flesh says, yes, give me this. We're confronted with the greater reality the broken truth of where sin always leads and it's always death and our hearts break as we watch others walk that path and we see brokenness in the context of the spiritual reality of the world the kingdom of darkness around us which binds hearts and minds which, keep, which keeps them from seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ and we see the death that comes through living the American club life. And when we're pulled out of ourselves and we realize that we've died and we've risen with Christ and we're seated with him, who is seated at the right hand and that our lives are hidden with Christ, then we're equipped to respond in peace and in rest. I remember the first time I had a demonic encounter. I won't give that story today, but it scared me to death. And I remember coming out of that just struggling, questioning everything. It was like there was just something sitting on me. I remember questioning my faith, the truth of the gospel, all things. And I had to just proclaim the gospel, proclaim truth. And then God led me to Matthew 28, where I read in that 18 to 20, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. The foundations of what Paul brings to us, to us in Colossians 1, 2, and 3. And then the next time I experienced something in that realm, I remember just laughing. It was like God's peace just came over me. Fear was driven because he has the authority. And he is seated and I am with him. And the enemy has no place in my life. I can trust in Christ. I remember the first time hearing demons speak out of a person. That same little seed of fear wanted to hit. And it was like, no, no. Christ has defeated the enemy and he reigns at God's right hand. Proclaim the gospel. Seek his kingdom and declare it. And I remember worshiping with brothers in that context. And it was like, here is this ugly unveiling of Satan's kingdom where sin always leads. But we often don't see it displayed like that. And here we were just worshiping Christ. And it was beautiful. This contrast of kingdoms. And yet that takes place every day around us. As we see those who are following sin and Satan. Ruining their lives. And as we then are able to engage with the peace and the rest that comes with Christ. Our living Savior. We've died. Our lives are hidden with Christ. What do you do when you hear those own voices in your own head, when you feel the spiritual battle for your own heart and mind? What do you do? You proclaim the kingdom and you preach the gospel to yourself. You tell your brother, your sister, your spouse, your cousin. Brother in faith, and you preach the gospel to one another. What do you do when you see brokenness in the lives of others? You bring the gospel. You pray truth. And you love and meet them in that place with the peace of Christ. What do you do when the weight of temptation is sitting on you? You preach the gospel to yourself. What do you do when life isn't going the way you expected? You preach the gospel. And you know that your life is hidden with Christ in God you proclaim the gospel, you've believed, you rest in Christ because you've died and you've risen with Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And you are safe. Whatever is outside of your control today, you're safe in Christ who holds you and holds all things. Just let it sink in. Your life is hidden with Christ. In God. In the past, if you're in Christ, you died, you were raised with Him so that you can seek after the things above. In the present, your life is hidden with Christ in God so you can rest in the life of Christ and engage others in that greater reality. But there's a future that has yet to be revealed you will appear with Christ so that you can live in the hope of His appearing. And that's third. Look at verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He who is your life will appear, brothers and sisters. He will return as God's Word declares and I love the Apostles' Creed as they proclaim. He will come and judge the living and the dead. He will be fully revealed. And at his coming will be revealed the beautiful bride of Christ. And she will be glorious. That text out of Ephesians 5 came up in our men's night. I enjoyed being reminded of that reality that Jesus will sanctify his bride, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, right? If you're in Christ, that's you. That is living in the hope of his appearing. We will be partakers of his glorious splendor. That's the final change, the moment when we no longer have to battle the desires, the flesh, living in this false reality of life defined by the world. We will no longer after battle the desire to escape and run home and close up the shutters and the tension between these fallen bodies and fallen culture and fallen people. We become partakers in his glory. We get to behold it. We get to treasure it. We get to reflect it. Because he is our life. And there is no greater treasure than to pursue the glory of God in the face of Christ. And to make that known in the darkness of the world that he has put us in. Because they desperately need life. That is the highest calling, the highest purpose of your life right here and right now. To live in the tension of the past and the present and the future. To set our minds fully on this place. And to live according to it. And to spur one another to love and to good works. How now shall we live? We live in the tension of the past, the present, and the future. The already and the not yet. We set our hearts fully on the beauty and the glory of Christ and his kingdom. You will appear with him in glory. What great hope. Brothers and sisters, don't live as if Christ's death and resurrection and future coming are simply events to articulate when we gather as his church. That reality must shape our whole entire lives because it changes everything. We have been raised with Christ, seated with Him, and we await His return in glory. This might feel more foreign than familiar to you, like our first year in Uganda. But this is what you've been called to. It is a foreign culture, but it isn't foreign. It's foreign from the world and what you've known, and yet it's what you were made for. It's where life and peace are found. With a new people and a new home. And all of that grounded in the gospel of Jesus. And that is greater than anything else we can seek. Let's be a people whose pursuits are defined from above. Who submit, right? That I surrender all. Song, I Surrender Some. What does it mean to surrender all? It's, it's this laying down of this world. It's this seeking after and fully pursuing, fully submitting to the one who reigns over all. It's living in this reality. We want to be a people whose pursuits are defined from above and who reject the American club at least as a lifestyle. A people who enter boldly into the broken broken places and the hurting around us because we know the one who is life and we're safe in him. That is not pie in the sky. No, that's a feast set before us where our Lord offers us himself because we don't have to go there. He brings it to us. One of the beautiful things that we get to do here as a body every couple of weeks is we get to gather around a table that is set for us to remind us of the greater heavenly reality. The greater reality that has broken in right here. The reality that our Savior has shed his blood. He has died and he has risen and we have died and we have risen with him. We want to partake of this Supper together. We want to do it with this passage hopefully stirring in our minds and stirring in our hearts, right? Because we get to taste and we get to drink, and we get to remember that this heavenly reality is earthly for us. That Christ came and took on flesh, that he lived in this brokenness without sin. And that he gave himself for us to set us free. That he died as our sacrifice for sin. And he didn't stay dead. That he rose from the dead. That he reigns and that he will return. And we get to proclaim this reality around this table. In Uganda, one of the things that I loved is when we did the table, often there was just great joy. There were times where we would actually worship and sing as we went up uh, to partake together. And other times when it was a bit more serious. And I've seen people leave churches over just that posture exactly. I've seen people leave to say, ah, that church is not reverent enough. Or, mm, that church is, it's like, a, it's like a funeral. You know, they're not joyful enough. And, and you get this tension of, of, of these two sides, and yet the truth is, is that it's both. It, 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 it's reverent, and it's celebratory. And, and for some of us, you know, we come out of a passage like this where we go, man, I so easily keep my mind set on things of earth. I center my life that way. Lord, I need your grace and forgiveness. I want to set my mind on you you forgive me for? And there's a weightiness to our own sin or our own neglect or the lies that we've believed or what we've lived around. And we see this table and we say, Hallelujah, what a savior. You died for me. And you come and you feel the weight of his sacrifice. You feel the weight of sin that he bore. And man, it's on you. And you partake and you know, I'm forgiven, right? Or you're there and you're going, wow. Glory to God that he has set me free. Glory to God that I get to live in this greater reality. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And you're just excited (laughs) and you're there and you partake with joy and celebration. And those two pictures are so healthy for the local church because we need that from one another, right? As we wrestle, as we celebrate together the victory Of our Savior. And so as we come to the table this day, we invite all who are in Christ, those who have believed and trusted in Jesus, those who have been raised with Christ and seated with Him, died with Christ, our lives are hidden with Him. This table is for followers of Christ, followers of Jesus. And so as we come, we want to come boldly, we want to come mindful, reverence with celebration, uh, as we give thanks together. And so I invite the, the deacons to, to come as we prepare. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever, Lord. And That is what we want to live in. Awareness of, we want to be centered on your greater kingdom, knowing that we cannot change ourselves. We can't. We're so easily swayed into our American club lives. But Lord, would you so fix our minds on your great reality that we can live in the midst of this culture, in this world, as lights of Christ to each other, to those around us. God, you know the hearts here that have wrestled, that need to know their lives are hidden with Christ. Lord, you know those who have battled the weight of sin. Would you bring repentance, forgiveness, and great joy at this table? Lord, you know our needs as your body. And as we come to partake, we just proclaim that your sacrifice was sufficient for all and that you will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we live in the hope of that greater reality. Blessed be your name. Amen.